It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Joe, we're on a winning streak. I have not pressed the mute button at the start of a show for two days in a row. Today, I'm happy. Today, Bengals fans, we will talk about the ESPN Power Rankings, which I don't think we have talked about a single time in the year plus we've done this podcast. The ESPN post-free agency power rankings are out. And I don't know if you expect the Bengals to be where they ended up. So we're going to talk about that and talk about whether we agree with that first. Then we're going to take a look at a couple mock drafts. I know yesterday was mock draft Monday, but it is Monday as we record this. And so other people have released their mock drafts today, including a new one from Bengals.com, which has a very surprising, in my opinion, second round pick that I don't think we've done ever in our own mocks. And uh, then we've got a really interesting, fun mock from Joe Marino of the Draft Network to talk about. And finally, Joe, you were in a conversation today that you wanted to talk about for part three of the show. That's right. And it has to deal with rounding out the receiving core and who should be leaned on and featured as they sit right now. This is something that I've had a bit of an issue with in Madden, actually, as I've been progressing my my Madden franchise. Anyway, let's get into first the ESPN power rankings. So in ESPN's new power rankings, the Bengals come in at 32nd in the NFL. Despite their free agent spending flurry, it wasn't enough to move the needle for the ESPN voters. Ben Baby writes in the description, the Bengals spent over $112 million on three players, those being DJ Reader, Trey Waynes, and AJ Green. Spending spree was imperative for roster in need of a slew of upgrades, but despite these upgrades, not enough to get out of the cellar. That's a little bit surprising to me. I would say it's a bit surprising, but I can look at it two different ways. Number one, the other teams near the bottom also had active free agencies for the most part. So, did the Bengals catch them? Did they surpass them? I think that's debatable. Number two, you know how they normally rank the number one team, let's say the Chiefs that won the Super Bowl, and they'll keep them at number one, despite whatever happens in the offseason, because until you knock off the champ, they're still the champ. The inverse is probably true for the 32nd ranked team. The Bengals were the worst team in the league last year. They owned the number one pick for a reason, and until they show that they can go out on the field and produce wins, I think they'll sit at number 32. 
I think that in some respects that's fair, but I also think it's potentially a little bit lazy and it might still be correct. It might be that if you look at the Detroit Lions, the Washingtons, the Miamis, Jacksonville, maybe if you look at all those teams, you still decide, yeah, you know what? I think the Bengals have the worst roster out of all those teams. But I think that the analysis probably doesn't go into the ESPN power rankings, which is why we are here to do some of that analysis and say, well, is this, is this actually, is this actually correct? And so the things that haven't changed, the offensive line, largely the same. The defense, however, has changed dramatically and some projections really like that. One of those guys is ESPN's prognosticator, Mike Clay, who normally works in fantasy, but he does a great job of ranking players, position groups, NFL teams. And right now he has the Bengals defense moving all the way up to number eight for after really they spent the last two years at the bottom, if not the bottom or worst defense in the league. They made a lot of moves, a lot of adjustments to get that bottom ranked team up there. And Mike Clay really likes them. And I think you have to take that and look at last year's team and see that they went 0-8 in one-score games. That shouldn't happen ever again. And then you say, well, for three weeks there, they really tanked it with Ryan Finley at quarterback. How many games should they have won in that span? And I think if Dalton was playing, there's a fair argument they would have won at least two of those. So I could take that, and that's what we would do, right, from our perspective. We would take that information, look at Mike Clay, and see where he's got rankings also, and sees the Bengals trending up on the defensive side. And you could say – 32nd is probably looking at it at it at the low end, and they should probably be moved up a couple of spots at least. To your point, Joe, about the one-score games that you don't expect to happen every year, one-score games are shown to be very unstable. If a team is 0-8 in one-score games, you would expect them to be 4-4. Four and four. One-score games in the NFL expected to be an even split. So the brobible.com did this experiment at the end of the season last year. And they took all the one score games in the NFL and they said, okay, what would happen if we flipped the record? And there might be some skill to winning one score games, but if we assume that it's mostly luck, which is what the data mostly tells us, the Bengals last year would have been nine and seven if they had just won all of their one score games. Obviously that's not going to happen. But if you look at the chargers five and 11 last year would have been 12 and four. The Steelers, who were 8-8, eight and eight, didn't have very many one-score games. They would have been 7-9 and nine instead. Or maybe they had a lot of one-score games and they were just very polar in them. The point here is the Bengals were very unlucky and have one of the biggest swings in the NFL going from 2-14 and 14 to 9-7 and seven if you just flip the outcome of those one-score games. I think you can look at the previous year, 2018, and see the Bengals roll to 5-1 and one to start the year. And in, in, in four one-score games, they went 4-0. and oh to start the season and that wasn't people use that as an indicator like five and one look they could be good in 2019 and i took, went the other way well four and oh isn't going to happen every year in one score games just to start and you see how the second half of the year they ended up going zero and five i believe in one score games and that was probably the indication of how we ended up where we were in 2019 as they go zero and eight in that category so what you could take this as there's a good chance that the bengals will probably be much better than their two and 14 record of 2019. I think we all hope that and expect that there will be some regression in one score games. There should be some growth from this coaching staff in a lot of ways. We saw progress throughout the year. We don't know how much of that yet had to do with the strength of schedule. So that's what we're going to find out. 
that's going to be the big thing that we're going to learn about this team and this coaching staff next year is was all the late season success just a product of the opponents they played against or is there true pass blocking improvement? Is there true offensive line improvement? Is the defense playing more cohesively? Those are things that we'll watch for next year. And those are obviously questions that the ESPN power rankers still have. But we have a few mock drafts to talk about. Some other ways for the team to improve itself going into the next season. Get out of that 32nd spot in the power rankings. Because really not many teams repeat the number one pick. It happens very infrequently. The Browns did it. And before that, I think it was 20 years ago. No one's expecting the Bengals to do that. Well, at least I'm not. Maybe other people are. But we're going to talk about these mock drafts in just a minute. Joe, everyone is talking about the best ways to stay in shape while we're all in quarantine. You can't go to the gym. Everyone talks about Peloton, but the cost of those connected fitness bikes makes them pretty damn expensive and not very many people have extra coin to spend right now. So how about the Echelon Fit? Talk about a more affordable option. And my wife just asked me today about a Peloton as we're looking to stay in shape while we're locked in the house. But when I see here that, you know, you're going to spend that much for a Peloton, but an Echelon bike today can be had for under $1,000. I think that might be the direction we have to go. Yeah, don't pay a ton for a Peloton. We can't do one of these without a terrible pun. Go to echelonfit.com to discover their EX1 connected fitness bikes that offer high quality at-home cycling experience at less than half the price of a Peloton. That is staggeringly cheaper Head on over to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-F-L to learn about their limited time, free Apple iPad, and complete details of this exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash L-O-N-F-L. Echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-F-L. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. It's not exactly Mock Draft Monday, but Monday is when all the Mock Drafts come out and they get updated around the internet world. And we've only got really three weeks left, Jake, until we can really stop looking at these completely. Uh, draft day one is April 23rd, so we're getting in that range. But today we want to go over a few, and we probably probably will do this a few times, more than a few times, leading up to the draft where we're going to look at somebody's mock and tear it apart because that's what we all do anyways, but not really not tear it apart. We're going to, we're going to comment on it, decide on if that is the right direction, right path or what we would do in those scenarios. And I think the first one is from bangles.com. Jeff Hobson does his yearly. And once it gets in this range, seems like monthly media mock draft where he contacts people from around the league and lets them make their pick for their team. And then he, when he gets on the clock, he kind of uh, goes through the rounds of what would be available for the Bengals, what their thought process would be, and he lands on a player. And the newest one now, as he goes all the way to a pick 33, which makes sense because that's where all our heads are at, he lands on wide receiver from Colorado, LaVisca Chenault Jr. And that is a player that I think I said in the open, we have not ever picked 
in our mock draft Mondays. Chenault is a guy that, if you look at the PFF draft guides, his pro comparable is a running back. Now it's a really good running back. It's Saquon Barkley, but it's a running back. A lot of his production, according to that same draft guide, was schemed. And Joe, that lines up with what we were talking about when we were talking about this before the show, with what you've seen on tape, in that a lot of what you would need to get out of Chenault would need to be something that you design. The Bengals haven't necessarily been the greatest team at manufacturing touches. We've seen this with Joe Mixon, for example, where we are not seeing the receiving game involvement that we believe he's capable of and showed he was capable of at Oklahoma when he was in school. Joe, what would the fit be for LaVisca Chenault? This essentially says, well, John Ross definitely isn't part of the future. A.J. Green, you might not be. LaVisca Chenault, maybe you are our future 1A to Tyler Boyd. I would still think they need another receiver if they draft LaVisca Chenault. And I, I say that because the manufactured touches would be a big part of his game. They are at Colorado. Uh, it's funny, I said he's a big running back before we saw the comp to Saquon Barkley. And then we saw his, his average depth of target was ranked 241st in the country. And that's what you see when you watch him on tape. They give him a lot of plays from the backfield, a lot of carries. I believe he had 42 this past year. And if we're going to manufacture receiving touches for another running back type offensive weapon, which sounds great to have, to be honest with you. When my last mock draft that I posted over the internet, I mean, over the weekend on the internet, was uh, drafting in the sixth round Antonio Gibson, a running back slash wide receiver that could do a lot of these things. But we're talking day three pick for this offense. Drafting that guy sounds like a good time and would help this offense, but I don't want to spend the 33rd pick on that for Chenault. Chenault ran a 4-5-8. I don't think he's going to ever be a number one type receiver. I, I think he's probably a Debo Samuel type, which is fine because you can you can win a lot of games with someone like that. But I think even the 49ers are still looking for a number one type. Don't be surprised if they draft a receiver. Uh, they like Samuel, and I would like Chenault. But I think if you're going into 2021 and you've got Chenault, Boyd, and Tate, you've still got a very slow receiving core, and you're going to want a guy to take a top off the defense. It is worth noting here, and it's pointed out again in this wonderful PFF draft guide, a great tool, that he had a groin injury when he was running his 40, so that 40 might not be very representative of his true speed. And people thought that he would be faster than a 4.6, which is essentially what he ran. But for Bengals fans, you really want to take another guy coming off another injury. And he has a series of injuries in his history. He's, he's had foot stuff, he's had groin muscle issues, and those are things that can, not always are, but can be chronic. With the history that you have of drafting players that have an injury history and have missed time early, is that really a risk you want to take? Especially when, let's look at the other guys that are available. Hobson talks about this as in, he doesn't want to go defense necessarily now. And if you listen to Jeff Hobson before, he did say almost... Every time he could, the Bengals are going to pick a defensive player at 33. He's saying that because of their activity in free agency, that's shifted. But he's passing on Zach Bond. He's not even mentioning Denzel Mims, who I think would be the pick for all of us, many of our listeners at least. And then he's also talking about Brandon Ayuk. And I think Jalen Rager is even available here. So there are some other people that I think Joe and I would be more likely to draft ahead of Chenault. But he does point out, that for PFF's big board, Chenault is 16th or 17th. He's actually, I think, ahead of Rager. 
and that's fine. I just don't think that that's a fit for what we're looking for, just based on what he offers. If I think if the Bengals are going to target receiver, it's got to be one of two things. Number one, it should be a guy that can take a top off of defense. You're replacing John Ross with this. It's And we'll have a conversation about why that's such a big need. And I think the other one would be, can this guy be a 1A to Tyler Boyd? Can he replace A.J. Green in that scenario? Because we may have to face that scenario, whether that's if Green's healthy or due to H. And so I, I believe those are the two things we should target at receiver. And I don't think Chanel provides either of those. And if it ends Denzel Mims, who we keep talking about, we're going to have to do a whole Mims segment or episode one of these days because we've been talking about him so much. At the very least, even if you don't expand his route tree, which you can, we saw at the Senior Bowl that you can, he does have the ability to run some of these other routes except the vertical tree. At the very least, if you can get Mims to be a very good receiver in that vertical tree, I saw this comparison to DK Metcalf and the things that he can do in just the vertical part of the wide receiver's job, well, then you've added something that this offense actually needs. Because right now, outside of John Ross, and I guess the way they use Auden Tate, you don't really have any field stretchers. Maybe maybe A.J. Green on a slot fade. Maybe A.J. Green generally out of the slot, but you don't have the outside field stretchers that you probably want with Joe Burrow on the team. I mean, you look at the way he played with Jamar Chase, outside at LSU and he would really benefit from that kind of weapon yeah you want as many options as possible at receiver for Joe Burrow and you want guys that can win on the boundary and in the slot and you're going to go out there five wide a lot and that doesn't mean five wide receivers but you want guys that can move into the slot and play outside Uh, you want a dynamic guy I I think if they're going to add one I think the one interesting guy that is mentioned here by Hobson is that Christian Fulton, the corner from LSU, was was not picked. And for me, I think he's a top 15 to 18 kind of guy. He shut down some of the big receivers he played this year for LSU. I, I think he is that next best prospect out of LSU right now. And um, if he's there, I, I know corner, you know, they've just addressed it. They've signed players. They, it seems like good depth right now. But looking into the future, I think he's a number one type corner and they may need that in just one year. And the other interesting point I think Hobson makes is that they get the, you know, 24 hours or whatever to sit on the clock and think about trade offers that they might get. And with some of the guys that are available there, I would imagine that they might get some pretty competitive offers. And there's quite a few guys that we would be happy to draft. So in that scenario, I think trading back, uh, you know, 10 picks or so is, is really what we're talking about to pick up maybe maybe a late third, depending on the team, maybe an early fourth is is well worth it uh but christian fulton would be a great pick it's just like hobson says they've set themselves up to pick bpa that doesn't mean that you only look at bpa on the offensive side of the ball and in the spirit of that joe marino over at the draft network has the bengals going with back-to-back offensive linemen in the second and third round after drafting joe burrow really trying to solidify the offensive line because as i mentioned in the first five minutes of the show The offensive line is the thing on this team that hasn't changed at all and is the biggest weakness on the team. You can still point to linebacker to some degree, but at least at least they have a couple guys that can play there. And they've signed Von Bell and they have Sean Williams on the roster at this point. So he goes Josh Jones at 33, which we would love. And this is over guys like Zach Bond, Austin Jackson, 
Jeremy Chin, maybe. I'm not sure who else you would really argue for here. Maybe Ezra Cleveland. Uh, Justin Matabuk was also just um, reported to be in contact with the Bengals recently. So just to throw that out there, he goes 35 to the Lions. There you go. So someone else that might be in consideration, and I think is in consideration. We've talked about the three-tech, and I don't think that we would be upset with a pick of a three technique if we felt that the value was correct. And then in the third round is Robert Hunt from Louisiana. So there's no linebacker coming to help you here. There's no new weapon for Joe Burrow coming to help you here. But you do have two pieces that could really go a long way in solidifying the offensive line. And it's not like you're passing on any really exciting wide receiver prospects. Mims, Jefferson, and Rager are all off the board. Even LaVisca Chenault goes off the board in Joe Marino's mock draft before the Bengals pick in the second round. So it's not like there's an attractive receiver there to distract you from a Josh Jones. I think this is the best case scenario, to be honest with you. I think Josh Jones is a top 20-ish player in this draft, and he plays tackle, and he plays left, right. He played guard at the Senior Bowl. Uh, I think he is very, very good and would be an instant upgrade at right tackle. You get back-to-back years with a premium pick at tackle. Joe Burrow would really like that. And then you come back and get Robert Hunt. There's your right guard. I would love this start. And, yes, you would still need a linebacker. Yes, you would still need to draft a receiver in a great receiver class. But, man, the line is now secured at this point. You're not really as worried about the future of the line because we really like both of these guys. We expect that they will be able to develop into starters, even if only one of these guys starts at the beginning of the year. Maybe it's Josh mm-hmm. Jones playing guard. And maybe maybe later on he takes a if, – if somebody gets hurt at tackle, he kicks out to tackle. If Bobby Hart struggles, which is kind of the expectation, maybe he kicks out to right tackle. But he would fit at right tackle. And tell the people a little bit about Robert Hunt, Joe. Tell us a, a quick 30-second breakdown if you have one. He's also somebody that many think would start at guard and then move to tackle. I think if you kept him at guard, he's got potential of a top – Guard. I mean, uh, he's got power to him. He's got size to him. Uh, I think he would be a very good NFL guard and a little bit more athleticism than I think than you would expect for a guy uh, with a little bit of weight on him. But for me, Hunt is upside. I see when I when you watch the clips or any highlights, if you go on Twitter and, and research what draft Knicks are saying, I think he's just now scratching the surface of where he's going. PFF compares him to Brandon Scherf. He excels as a pass blocker and in zone running, which sounds like a great fit for the Cincinnati Bengals. Last thing we're going to talk about today, Joe, is the future use of wide receivers in this offense. We talked about what they're missing, and we talked about the different, well, we will talk about, I think, the different things that John Ross and Auden Tate can offer. We'll get to all that in just a minute here. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jake, you mentioned this when we were teasing this last segment here, that you struggle with this dilemma in Madden, and I do also, where I try to give a, get a heavy rotation at receiver because I do like the Bengals' four guys, at least the four top guys, and I even have a few 
spots to slide in Alex Erickson because he deserves a couple snaps a game. But I think the biggest thing for me is, like, I always want A.J. Green out there. I always want Tyler Boyd out there. But when it comes to the number three receiver, and we're talking about receiver a lot today, especially for the draft and the future needs. But that number three spot going into 2021, as it stands today, say they even spend a second-round pick on a wide receiver. It just muddies the water even more, right? Because as of right now, you have John Ross and Auden Tate probably slid into that position. That receiver pick would be for the eventual injury to Green and Ross. It would be for 2021 and beyond at those positions. But I think going into the year, it would be Ross and Tate at that spot. And I end up with a lot of conversations still with people that I think it's really split. Some people say, well, that should be Auden Tate's job based on what he showed last year. And a lot more people will say it should be John Ross's job whenever he's healthy because of the explosion offered to this offense. And I wonder where you fall on that. Who do you end up rotating more in Madden? I'm interested in that too, but and in real life. Well, in Madden, it's not real. Like I drafted Denzel Mims. I did a full draft when, when I, when I acquired Joe Burrow. So I picked Burrow first and then Mims and then Justin Jefferson and my Madden was there in the seventh round. So Madden for this conversation isn't very uh, helpful, (laughs) But it, it is something that, in terms of what I think they should do, I don't think that you really favor one by default more than the other. I think you use them situationally as much as possible because they both offer very specific and very different skill sets. And you don't generally want them running many of the same routes. So I'm using them situationally, and I might be giving away a little bit of my offense in doing so, but I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. The other thing that I'm considering is actually rotating Tyler Boyd a little bit and getting AJ Green into the slot with Ross and Tate outside. I kind of like the matchup problems that creates getting Tate matched up against a smaller corner who is pretty much every cornerback in the league, getting AJ Green into the slot, which I think creates a lot of problems for defenses. Mm -hmm. And then with Ross outside, you kind of have to pick your poison a little bit I think that a lot of teams can say something similar, but I think there are creative ways to to keep all of these guys fed as as far as targets go. Yeah, I do too. I think a, a healthy rotation would probably be in the best interest of the entire team and some of those receivers we have concerns with, Green and Ross, staying healthy. And, I mean, Auden Tate did end up on IR. Uh, Boyd ended up on IR the year before. So it's not out of the question that you're going to probably see some sort of injury somewhere at this receiving core. I just think you can scale back the snaps on green a little, maybe a little on Boyd, and that's how you start to filter in Tate and maybe whoever you draft at that position. Um, I think the one thing that's maybe misconstrued is that Auden Tate is more reliable than John Ross. Over their career, they're actually much closer on catch percentage than I think you would expect for a guy that makes crazy catches like Auden Tate does. But I think it's because largely some of his routes are in question and um, everything is contested with him. So last year he caught 51.3% of his passes in comparison to Tyler Boyd, 63.4. John Ross, 50.9. So Tate and Ross were almost exact on that. And that comes with Ross's drops. I find it interesting, though, that the the thought is, well, you can use on Tate in the slot or I'm, I'm sorry, in the red zone um, once you get down there. But then John Ross has been one of their best Red zone weapons. I think this is a good situation to have. I think when we're having this discussion, at least having some groups argue it out, um, just means that you've got enough guys that you want to see on the field. I think a lot of people talk about Auden Tate 
like you said, as a red zone guy, as a third down guy, John Ross has a lot of proficiency in the red zone. And I don't think that we should be taking him off the field in those situations. Actually, where I really like Auden Tate is, is second down, which nobody ever really talks about. I think people talk a lot about like, make sure you have a positive play on first down to make the rest of the two second, third downs manageable. Everyone talks about third down conversions. You don't really hear a ton of conversation around second down. And I like Auden Tate here because he has that circus catch ability. So he gives you some some back shoulder options. He gives you some you know intermediate target options, but he's also a really good run blocker. Yeah, and and so if he's on the field on second down, if John Ross is out there, much worse run blocker. Uh, I think yeah. I think Auden Tate gives you a lot more flexibility on second down, which is is one of the downs where you want to be as misleading as possible. Like you're not yeah. going to be pigeonholed. And I think when you have a good rotation, you can expect these guys to run their routes 100% of the time, every time. Like, there's yeah. a lot of clear-out routes in the Bengals' offense, especially on play actions and, and designed crossers and things like that. You need Ross to run 100 miles an hour and take that safety out of there to open it up for Tate or Boyd or Green, whatever. Um, the more rest these guys have, the more the better your options are. You know, when they're healthy, it's kind of interesting. When you see the offense without A.J. Green, we know it's a much worse offense. But even going back to losing Ross the last year, two years, I mean, his career, right? But when they lost him last year, their explosive um, plays just went through the drain instantly. And it wasn't until Tate got up a little bit and started making some crazy downfield catches that they started to uh, get back in order. And then they figured out ways to get Boyd open from the slot. And I think it was just a lot of adjustment there, losing both those receivers that, we don't want to see that again, but we should almost expect it. And I think that's the big thing. Go, project for 2021. And if Green and Ross aren't on the team, which could very possibly possibly happen, I think Ross could be traded if they draft the right guy at 33. Well, you know, we get there in round four and someone offers something, or round five and someone offers something for Ross, and you've already drafted Mims or Jalen Rager, well, I've had, I'd have no problem moving on from Ross at that point. But um, – as of now, as we sit trying to project it, and maybe they don't get a receiver until the fourth round or so. And if, in that case, then you definitely need that speed that Ross provides, and you need that big playability that Auden Tate has been able to, to provide. I think that you make a really good point about John Ross and that his speed is hard to replace. It, it just is. He's the <laughs> fastest player on the team. He might be, if you believe his 40 time, if you're not one of the Chris Johnson truthers then uh, he's, yeah. he's the fastest player in the NFL potentially. So you need to find ways to use all these guys if they're on your team. And there is a way to do it. And it's a good problem to have. Unlike last year when you're starting undrafted free agents, hopefully we get through the offseason program with some of these guys healthy. You know, you, you have Auden Tate as a guy that really is primed to potentially break out. And if, and if he does break out, then great. It, whoever wins, whoever's more effective, put them on the field. It's, it's not a bad problem to have. And maybe an underrated point is how they did figure out not only the running game in the second half of the year, but also they found ways to use on Tate. And as you mentioned, they, they find ways to get Tyler Boyd the ball a little bit more. Some of that may be predicated on Joe Mixon being really good. Um, maybe some of that also predicated on them making adjustments in the passing game as well. Because as you said, Joe, it was a year full of just constant adjustments and trying to figure out mm-hmm. where their footing is. And and hopefully now, as as we said, in, in the open, really going into year two with some consistency there, they're not the 32nd best team in the NFL again. 
my last point or last thing to talk about is that uh, I had the trivia question, who wore number 85 between the original 85 and the recently um, moved on 85, Tyler Eifert. It was Armand Bins for that year in between there. We had a couple people answer on Twitter, so um, shout out to them. But that was it. So I, I assume a lot of people didn't know that answer, and then I forgot to say it yesterday. So I'm bringing it up now. If you listened to the mailbag episode last week, the answer was Armand Bins. And I guess the wrong undrafted wide receiver. My guess was Benny Brazil, and I have no idea what number he wore. It might have been in the teens. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Next week, I think... We will have the Locked On Mock Draft starting. It's going to go live on Friday, April 10th. And you all know who we're picking at number one. So you get to hear us talk about that and hear people praising us for doing the right thing. That's next Friday. So look forward to that one. Until tomorrow, Bengals fans, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.